Welcome to episode 30 of Horse Heretics. I'm Neil. I'm William. And today we will be looking at a book by Dan Abnett called Prospero Burns. Uh, this should be uh, the other viewpoint, the viewpoint of the Space Wolves, um, as they sort of burn their way through Tisca and the Thousand Suns. Uh, that's what I was expecting, and I guess we will find out soon whether we actually get that. Before we really get into the meat of this story, well, sometimes we get some some quotations attributed to various people in the story, some, sometimes not. We start off with a real banger, one of the absolute best. Do you want to go into that? Uh, are you referring to the dramaturg Shakespeare? Yes. Yeah. N- not not the last time we'll hear from this particular dramaturge. No. Like we know that these books, like and the authors of them, take a bit of pleasure in joking around and and like taking a few liberties and stuff. And it's very hard to know what's going to be a good amount of liberties to take and when it tips over the edge into self indulgence and awfulness. This is that latter part, isn't it? <laughs> it's too it's too far. It's too bad. I don't I hate it. There was there was one uh I think I'm sure we've had Shakespeare pop up before at some point. Have some we? quote from Shakespeare. Um I mean, I'm only going to call him Shakespeare for the, uh, <laughs> for the rest of our lives. <laughs> um, but there was actually one uh, reference to Shakespeare later on in this book that genuinely amused me a little bit, which was, like, we'll oh, get no. into this. <laughs> oh, no. no. I know I know the bit you're talking about, because I'm going to bring it up as being shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, there's, well, we'll get into this, but there, there's a character who is basically, well, I was like, this is Neil's guy. He's uh, he, <laughs> yes. he's an archivist, uh, like a, an information guy. Just wants to collect the information uh, and um, keep it all and recover it and all that stuff. And um, so I think it's somewhere in the course of him having a conversation with him to talk about these treasures they uncovered someplace. And like someone's like, "Yes, all three works of Shakespeare." <laughs> <laughs> now that is obviously like a sort of nodding, winking joke. I just don't think it's funny. I thought it was a little bit funny. Um, no, 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 no. You see, I, I've evaluated it. And, um, it was it was lacking in funniness. the The line itself from uh, Shakespeare. It was a line from Troilus and Cressida, and it's a shit play. I haven't read it. I've only watched it from a like a BBC nineteen eighties thing. And I, I, when I say I watched it, I've watched a bit of it. And it's a, like it's a retelling of the Iliad, and I was expecting this to be a he, sort of heavy-handed retelling of the Iliad itself, but it's not at all. Um, which is probably best. Let's well, get into. Let's get into the story. Yeah. So um, I thought I'm not sure you're going to agree with me. I thought the first two chapters of this were really, really good. Um, I no, totally agree. Okay, good, right. Um, and I thought like, you know, we we sometimes like. I suppose we sometimes kind of make fun of a bit of the idea that, like, Dan Abnett in the culture no. of black library writers seems to be like revered as, uh, <laughs> as you know, a sort of somehow of a level above all the rest of them, for some reason. We and, find out last week that Aaron Dembski Biden thinks that as well. Yeah, yeah, um, and I've never well so far. I think we've read like what two books by him, amongst obviously yeah. all the other books by other people, and I've never really noticed a particular marked difference um in up till now but excuse me i actually thought like 
these first two chapters are really exciting, really atmospheric, um, really well written in that sense. Like the, the metaphors were actually like landing pretty much always yep. and not seeming like really clunky. Massive yeah, they're they're like massively dense with like world building and society and culture building without really like being hit over the head with like, oh I see I see what they're doing. It's a Viking culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um it see it all worked together. And it was very it was very rich, like you say, that world building and, and like just the sense of being in this sort of really snow and ice bound land was very with, uh, w- with real sort of competing cultures that grew up naturally in that icebound land and were like formed by it and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really agree with you in that one. We basically join right in the middle of like a tribal battle on Fenris. Yeah. Um, and so two of these tribes, uh, the Azkamani and the Bolt, clearly, yes, you're right, like they are of the same culture, but they each have their own particular tribal you know aspects to their culture while yeah. sharing a lot of um the sort of overarching stuff of like you know the they they have a gothy which appears to be a seer some kind of like shaman person who can like read the runes and is able to tell the good from the bad and what has to be done and what can't be done and so this this war this battle and it, it seems to be only being carried out between like maybe a, a couple of dozen warriors you know it's not it's not as if it's a a world spanning tale they these are small tribes having a fight yeah and and like basically the the bolt as as i think the other group were called are coming to attack the Askamani because of the uplander who was uh, his appearance was regarded as a you know um just a taboo or you know a thing that they had to sort of cut out and destroy and forget you know from yeah society because it was just it was uh something from you know from the sky basically from from above that was sort of seen as supernatural and dangerous and frightening and they um so it talks about them coming like i think they had come in pretty good numbers but, you know but yeah you're talking small scale still relatively and then it, mm-hmm. it sort of um the the Askamani had quickly mounted a defense and this guy uh fifth is sort of the the main one of them that we see mm-hmm. the story through um, the eyes of. And they, so the the bolt, it says they're coming with like, you know, they don't look like, they're not like taking joy out of what they're doing. You know, there's no like excitement in the battle for them or anything. It's just like, they're like, this is a, a terrible thing we have to do because it's just, we have to remove this curse from, from yeah. our world that, that, kind of thing. That's the word, isn't it? That it's, it's the curse and to leave it, unexcised is to invite the, the curse upon yourselves so it's ab- absolutely their obligation to kill this uplander whereas the Azkamani they have taken it upon themselves that it's equally upon them to save him and yeah. hence this sort of battle of of, uh, of wills and, and of bodies essentially that there can be no sort of pulling back from and hence there's no joy to be had because everybody knows this is a bad deal because it involves sky magic which is yeah. the you know the worst form of 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 magic um and then we uh, the, the whole rest of the story is sort of told through the memories of this uplander and we find out his name is Casper Hauser um and that he's had some dealings with our old mate Carol Sinderman 
Oh yeah. Yeah, okay. so like that that's kind of brought up at the start. Um but it it links us to the sort of the time and the place of of what's happening right now in human culture. Uh he was obviously the iterator, the first iterator I think we ever met with the Sons of Horus and uh who sort of became big in the lecticio uh and, and bringing re bringing religion to to humanity again and we sort of go back to uh a little bit before the uplander arrived on on this sort of viking world of fenris and they're putting together basically the remembrance or bucket list of places that they really want to go to um in order to satisfy their you know intellectual curiosity uh caspers were fenris and prospero so we know he's on Fenris now, and so at some point he is going to be travelling to to Prospero. And there are some some shitty jokes that they share about there not being wolves on Fenris, oh. and they go, "Ah, yes, apart from the wolves." Uh, uh, yeah. And I, I didn't, I didn't have a fucking clue what they were talking I about. Know. Here. I know. I, I would really like this because this has not just been in this, but this was in the last book about this subject as well. And I'm just like, shut up about this. No rules and Fenris thing. It's not smart or funny or anything. <laughs> Just shut up about it. Because um, yeah. like, I remember in the last week it was like, there are no wolves in Fenris, haha, and they're just actually aliens that are exactly like wolves. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Or some shit like yeah. that. And I was like, just shut up. Um, you know, anyway, sorry. Uh, that's just a bug. No, no, it's just, I, I think like the real purpose of um, this sort of entrance to the story is that we, you know, we find out about the society of Fenris really being like totally aware of the inconstancy and the danger of magic uh, because the Uplander is considered to be some sort of demon or harbinger of of, it, of, so, of demonic forces and we, we learn a little bit more about the Gothies and the, the powers that they have but they're all very aware of how magic sort of takes the control out of human, normal human hands. And that, I think, is sort of the foreshadowing of why the space wolves who are derived from this land have such a hatred of those who do perform magic because they, they sort of take it out of the hands of normal people and sort of uh, restrict it into the hands of the few who can use this sort of uh, magical abilities. It's a really good, it was a really good start. There was a, a little bit about um, Casper. I guess it kind of goes back to his earliest stories, where he um, is talking like he's. This is back on Terra, back in the Wars of U- Unification, and it, there is like a, a fun disagreement between him and this other historian uh, in a temple uh, an old temple that they're in about like this the type of temple that they're in and the the religion about it and uh the culture that would have created it and stuff like that but in the end he's ordered out by a thousand son and casper hauser says he has all the um uh the right to be here he's he has like uh accreditation from all the the, the right people and says that his name is casper hauser which is an important name to this thousand son. We don't know why, but he sort of makes note of it and um, says he will be in touch. I don't think there's anything really more to go on, but I have a feeling there will be something more in the future about that point. So I thought I'd just mention that. 
I enjoyed at this point as well. I think it was at this point where, um, you know, I think even before they got kicked out of this um, place, they were trying to gather stuff from uh, by the space marine. Like they, they were um, trying to gather as much as they could, and and uh, the their their cameras weren't working at one point or something. They wanted to record, so they started doing like rubbings of like <laughs> yeah stones, and that just made me yeah just made me think of that like. Yeah, a thing that you forget about when you know that you haven't done since like primary school or whatever. Yeah, but, I can remember like um, we, we back in the the old days back in Northern Ireland, um, we used to do like tree bark rubbings, right? And like it was shit because like it just rips up your paper. <laughs> um, but we like I knew the different rubbings that um, different trees would give. What a stupid, what a stupid and genuinely useless piece of knowledge. Um, but like these, um, these the historian like underlings that they said, you know, take some rubbings. They were like, what? Like, like just take a bit of paper and, and rub a crayon over it or something. And like, oh, what, like we did in school? And Casper was like, yeah, just fucking do it. I'm telling you to fucking do it. <laughs> it's just like, you could, I can almost see them just like, well, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> it's like yeah. So, we're, so we're going to use our like proper sci-fi cameras that we have, and you're saying this will this will be a suitable replacement? Oh, fuck it. Have you right? This is a bit of a tangent, but have you ever encountered the Brass Rubbing Center in Edinburgh? I, I haven't, but um, I have been to the the Jorvik Viking Center in York. Right. Yeah. Uh, where where we did like brass rubbings of various brasses that used to be in old churches and stuff like that yeah i mean it's just it's just an interesting this place is quite interesting to me for nothing to do with its brass rubbings really although i find that really random that there's a center for it um it's down it's down one of the little lanes off the royal mile in edinburgh um but the building it's in is a church um from that was built in the mid 15th century uh on the site of um, where the Waverley railway station is now, but they uh, they removed it like stone by stone and rebuilt it up there, and now it's the Brass Robin Centre. So um, there you go. <laughs> oh, nice little. Uh, and anybody goes to Edinburgh, well, you're in for a treat, but um, <laughs> like n- not necessarily for visiting a Brass Robin Centre. No, I mean but, it wouldn't uh, make that the the centre of your whole trip, you know. But I mean, <laughs> uh, I bet you it's the only thing that's open now, though. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so back to the story on uh, Fenris. What ha- what's happening? Uh, so, yeah, so they, they were getting attacked. Uh, the Askamani and the Uplander were getting attacked by the the Bolt, or Bolt, or however you say it. And, and they, um, so the, their, their, like, village is getting burned, and lots of people have been killed already, and Fifth and the Uplander and a few others sort of are... You know, do some fighting. They have a skirmish, and and they, you know, they seem to be. Um, well, they they kill a few of the the enemy, and they manage to escape to like the, uh, like the, they know that they're pretty sure like that. I think I don't. I can't remember what they called him. Like the chief or or something. Like the kind of leader of their uh, group was dead, so that they were free to take away his boat, which was in like another, uh, like a bay, just sort of round the way from where they were. Um, and they take off on that, and like I wasn't quite sure what was going on here sometimes, but it seemed to like talk about these boats like skating across the ice. Um, did you? 
the impression I got was that it was it was open water, but they were never far from like ice sheets. Um, and like once they get attacked again, they are quickly able to like scoot back up onto the ice and walk across it. So I wonder if it's just like broken ice. Me, I was thinking at this point, like maybe Dan Abnett is just like a good writer. He just can't do space marine shit. In which case, you know, that's fine. Uh, and I was really enjoying this uh, the start of this book. So I was like, yeah, okay. This is a. It definitely felt completely different from anything we'd read before. Yeah. Because there was there was no space marines so far, barely any space shit. Um, it felt like it could be book set in Viking times, like a yeah. historical fiction book. Yeah, and that, that's actually one of the things that's really striking about the, this book in terms of perspective is you had much more of a sense of like. So normally, you know, obviously we've encountered lots of you know different civilizations and planets and so on in this this book series, but you, very often, like you're just kind of um, they're encountered and you're just told what they're about briefly yeah. and your the perspective is very much from space you know usually your protagonists are going about in space or that's where you know and and they they come down somewhere and that's how you kind of encounter these uh, planets and stuff and this is very much kind of feels the other way around you know you really feel that the story um, begins rooted in down on that planet and yeah and and space is somewhere else you know and um, which is quite a different perspective and a different feeling to it and and yeah um, and like it, if when you think about all the cultures that we've seen before most of them have produced you know enormous glass spires we've said this before <laughs> but there is like when you see those spires you have to like consider that there was a, a culture in society that s- somehow enabled the production of, of enormous glass spires and how did that happen you know what, what is it about the society that loved glass so much what was it about the society that could produce glass that would be able to stand so tall and stuff um that none of that is ever gone into because what well, just they that's not the story they're trying to tell but it is the story this one's trying to tell so i was very much on the side of uh, of the book yeah from here um, um so they're, they're on this boat and they start getting attacked they basically the boat is sunk and a lot uh, of the surviving soldiers go under with the boat or are, you know, quickly killed by these reluctant enemy soldiers. They have their gothy with them, which is their witch doctor, their shaman. And he's um, sort of exhorting them to ever greater acts of violence. Um, and, you know, he's having to do that because they just are like super reluctant. They just don't want to be involved with the Uplander and, you know, the, the bad weird that he's got with him. Um, but they attack, they do, um, because they think he's a demon. But behind them, behind uh, our heroes, uh, this sort of storm fast approaches. And out of this storm comes, like, an enormous warrior with axes. And he sort of jumps in amongst them. <laughs> There's a really weird line. I, I'm not sure whether... It was meant by this or not, but it said um, that this warrior with axes uh, jumped and landed on at least two men. And I I could just thought that was a weird kind of phrase that it was at <laughs> least two. You know, like like he somehow disintegrated them so much that 
that like the total number of people could not be ascertained from <laughs> just like there were like Mortal Kombat multiple rib cages just landing all over the place and stuff. I know the the, the volume of of uh, blood and gore underneath his feet confirms that there were at least two. Uh, individuals were crushed <laughs> from that jump but we don't know for sure if it's more than that or not um but uh yeah and i like but this whole bit where he appears it is very like done effectively as a kind of a kind of like mythical sort of that's, tone yeah, to that's it, exactly know? what i was thinking like this warrior runs out of the out of the storm and just sets about him destroying everybody yeah um yeah it had it, it was told with the you know the tone of of mythology and stuff, yeah, it was great. So and so he's a he's a space marine basically, and he. Um, oh, well, then not, he goes and he, he goes and kills a sea monster as well. I forgot about oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> the, before that, he basically kills or drives off all of the um, people that are chasing Fifth and the Uplander, and it, it does have a classic bit of description of gore here, where it says, um, "The men on board atomized in puffs of red drizzle." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> very nice um and then he he raises what they, what they call his lightning box um and he made it flash and bark just once and the gothy's head and shoulders vanished in, a, in an abrupt pink cloud so um he gets his, his bolt out and just makes short work of these guys and then this massive as you say sea monster appears that has a really really wide mouth um <laughs> Uh, holding too many teeth <laughs> also, to be fair to Abner he does not use that phrase um, no but, no that's true but uh, he it, it has all sorts of but but what what's more mythological and I suppose like that, it, that kind of does fit with the quote from Troilus and Cressida and the Iliad and stuff what's more mythological than somehow killing uh, a great sea monster Casper the Uplander uh, has been injured, and this uh, this Astartes like picks him up and says that he will save him and take him out of this this mess because it's his mistake uh, that he's there, and we're not quite sure what that means, but he is sort of paying a debt and um, has come to save him. His name is Bear, <laughs> and Bear <laughs> Bear just goes uh, just looks at him and says like something like, "Well, we can't be having that." And just roots into his eye and pokes his eye. Just pull, like. pulls his eye out, yeah. Um, <laughs> just as as he's rescuing him, and that's sort of the end of that bit. Um, and then we go into a less good part of the story. I thought, um, although there's some good stuff in it. I mean, but, I I thought, to be honest, I thought it was all downhill from here. I mean, I guess this sort of stuff is is harder to write, isn't it? Because it's all a lot of it was just sort of to begin with. Anyway, a lot of it was just sort of entirely what was in. Casper Hauser's head, what he was experiencing, mm-hmm. um, and rather than like at least for a while, like sort of proper interactions with other characters. So he sort of has had this like period of like darkness, and after he had his eye pulled out, and he he kind of wakes up to like figures and masks that are sort of tending to him or, or around about him, and he starts trying to throw them off and sort of pushes, or he's, he's like strapped down on a on a table or something, and he kind of breaks free from that and kind of fighting them off and at first you're thinking how the hell is he managing this and then um then it does say that he's been uh like he, for some reason he looks sees his body and sees that he's like stronger or like you know looks more youthful than what he had when he'd last seen himself basically yeah and uh, he he sort of breaks free from these like peons who had been ad- uh, administering to him 
and just like runs around, finds himself in this underground compound type affair, and he thinks he's being chased by what he thinks is a wolf. But when caught, it's just a big giant yeah. um, who who tells him that he sh- he shouldn't be where he is. But Casper tells him that he is Ahmad ibn Rasta um, and is taken to uh, this sort of central room where four Astartes are playing some board game or something. Yeah. And we we meet Scarcy, who we've met before. Yeah. Um, and uh, he sends the other men away and has a bit of a conversation with Casper. Scarcy says that his mind hasn't been fucked with, but that his body has been like given all the you know, the rejuvenation that their uh, their knowledge and their priests have. And that he sort of breaks it to him that he's been there for 19 years. Like, he's he's been asleep for 19 years. So. Yeah. And then uh, and there's and the rest of this storyline for this book is basically just moving around within this sort of structure that is there, is the base of the space rules on, on Fenris. And... Uh, they go into a, a, basically a sort of. This was quite, quite, um, quite cool, quite interesting. Anyway, like this kind of genetic lab sort of thing of the the space wolves, where they have like normal sized humans who presumably were some of the um, people in masks that um, uh, he had encountered before when he sort of first woke up. Um, and so there's these people wearing these masks made out of kind of like stitched together weather and stuff and then he comes into a bit where there's what are clearly space marine sized people wearing these masks they have a bit more chat about um the process that he has undergone basically um mm-hmm. and uh, and we've, we find out that he's had he's had his eye replaced by a night vision eye <laughs> by a wolf's a wolf's eye yeah um yeah um that sounds amazing but there's some funny chat here right so there's like so they're saying like your your organs are primarily gene copied transplants. Your skin is your own, my own, <laughs> removed, removed, replenished, rejuvenated, retailored, and he's like, you skinned me, <laughs> <laughs> and they don't respond to that, do they? They, 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 just so they did on. not reply. <laughs> <laughs> you just see everybody like in that room, just like looking amongst each other, just being like, uh, don't 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 say anything, don't say anything. <laughs> He says like, well, he's like, well, you say skin, you say skin, and we say remove, remove and replenish and rejuvenate, retailing. <laughs> they go to the sort of central, what would it be called, like the feasting hall, where all of the Astartes are just like milling about and playing board games and talking and joking with each other, and we learn about why this guy Casper is uh, on the planet, and um, there's some good history in here. Uh, he says that like he gave them the false name Ahmad ibn Rasta because that was an old uh, Terran uh, historian from from Persia who traveled you know from the east all the way up to the Rus and encountered the Kievan Rus and stuff and um, I remember studying that in history class. Yeah, I was going to say I rung, rung a vague bell, but um, I, yeah, the, the Kievan Rus were like the the Proto Russians. Um, and you know they would they would settle uh, that part of the world and would be like um, attacked continually by the golden horde from the Mongols and stuff. Uh, this this famous Ahmad ibn Rasta made contact with the old Nordic tribes of uh, of Terra, and so 
he had a feeling that uh, they would know that name and stuff like that, and it, it would it would have passed down through their oral histories and stuff like that. It was good stuff. Yeah, and normally when they try to refer to actual past events or or works of literature from the earth, it sort of badly misses the mark. But this kind of made a bit of sense in that his purpose for being there and why they was, had kept him alive and why they decide to keep allowing him to stay um, now that he's healed is that he wants to write down the stories of uh, of Fenris, of the Space Wolves, because they don't write anything down. They're, they're a completely oral history-based uh, culture. And this guy, Ogvi, can see um, the benefits of, of writing down the philosophy of, of Fenris. And it's... Um, it's, it's intriguing and uh, it's a, it's like an intriguing relationship that um, they're starting here because he needs to learn and be taught all about Fenris and the Space Wolves and stuff like that in order to write it down. So the rest of the book presumably will be exactly that. It will be this sort of idiot's view of just joining this culture and how his experiences that we've just spoken about uh, surviving on Fenris uh, will sort of inform his writing on that and hopefully that that's something that can be followed through on because I'd be interested to see where it goes from here because yeah I mean generally speaking they're they're very sort of hostile to the idea of stuff being written down like they just sort of say oh you just you know use your memory here basically um, don't have yeah and, and and that having too much knowledge of anything is like is is an ill thing like it will lead to problems and normally in these books i just kind of think oh it's like that kind of shitty you know um kind of view of like oh you can you can know too much about something you know you can be too smart or some shit like that but here it it does seem like they they have a reason behind it which is that like you know too much of something it there's there's a magic in there you know, the only people with, you know, the warp in them can know all of that stuff. And when there are people with the warp in them, that leads to, like, flesh change and that kind of stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I can, although that's not really gone into, that's sort of um, the impression I got of it. Um, yeah. And I think that shows, like, a quality of writing when you can piece things together like that without it being expressly or even sort of hinted at, really. Yeah, Um and I actually thought, like you know, a lot of a lot of the times, the Space Marine legions are differentiated by what we usually refer to as gimmicks, um, and uh, and but often, like in terms of characters, they're often actually really similar, you know, from one legion yeah. to another. Um, and I thought, even though this, you know, the Space Wolves, at least in the face of it, are, are you know, they certainly have a gimmick, you know, a very strong and distinctive gimmick. But they, I actually thought, it did a pretty good job here of the way the way their dialogue was written um of i mean admittedly kind of probably just drawing on a, a real world stereotype of like um scandinavians you know what i mean as kind of like yeah. taciturn and sort of plain spoken but it at least managed to evoke that in a way that made them seem different than the other legions through like actually what they say and what they do Rather than yeah. just like they have books on their face or whatever, you know, like. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so in terms of that, like that whole thing about them being wary of knowledge and stuff. So that's obviously the the 
opposite of where Casper has what his ideas are, and and we sort of so just to to finish up, I guess we can cover the last bits we haven't of his sort of backstory. And I think like certainly in my memory, it's become pretty butchered. But the kind of the structure of this was actually it worked reasonably well for me because it was like the two kind of threads were sort of drawing to the same point um, in a way that kind of made sense. And um, the uh, but it does cut about a bit here and goes back to like his childhood, Casper Hauser's childhood, when he they're looking for uh, they've made a they've had a contact in a kind of war zone that they're operating in, who is from like a, a culture in that war zone who are or like a religion religious organization who are saying like we have some stuff for you, um, and they've already got some stuff from them. They're going into this fairly dangerous area. Um, yeah, you say you want to go into this, and yeah, well, it's just like it's really good in some aspect, in, in all aspects, I think. Yeah, the so they've gone into this area of France, of what is France, uh, where pockets of faith have been kept alive by these like um, prayer uh, boxes, and um, he and his partner Mirza um, want they know the importance of these type of uh, boxes that have been like imbued with religious cultural significance and stuff like that. Um, but they want them to preserve them like in libraries and in archives. And so they're going to go and, and basically ransack these cultural items, which are, you know, which are being used by these religious people. Um, so they can see their value, but in that kind of colonialistic mindset, they don't believe in any of it, so they they think its best place is in a a library or an archive, yeah. and not in the hands of people who actually use it and who care about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, although, but although in, unless it's the story of them telling themselves, it does sort of say that the um, the religious people who have these things are sort of choosing to give it to them because they think they're going to be destroyed otherwise but i guess but it is a it is a trap in order to lure them all right uh, to come and get it i didn't actually realize that that was um but yeah no you're right i'm sure i hadn't really thought about that that it was actually all planned for them to end up there so they they hear a they hear a person playing a piano on a road um and they go over and go oh what lovely music but it's not a normal piano it's a (laughs) <laughs> improvised exploding piano <laughs> yeah. just it goes off and just mists a lot of people yeah um and that's very good but what i wanted to, to say is that there was a like discussion between mirza and hauser they clearly grew up together and in the same sort of religious background which was called catharic yeah. and uh, they uh, a, a reference is made to them being in uh, langdok Oh, so yeah. we've got more, we've got more Catharism here. Cather, I didn't even pick up on that. I I just we, thought it was like, uh, yeah, just meant to be like a stand-in for like Catholic or, or you know just Christian basically. Yeah. But no, I think you're right. Yeah, it makes sense. So the so the the Cathars uh, were from a, a part of France called Languedoc, and they were. Have we spoken about this before on the podcast? I think we have. The blogger mills. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, it's so weird because um, Will and I wrote many essays on the Cathars and have always loved them because they basically they allowed us to get through our undergraduate degrees by 
repurposing the same essay over and over and over again. That's certainly, I, th- I think that like myth has grown in the telling, but it's a good one. It's a good, uh, that we, <laughs> that, like every essay we were able to just talk about the bog melts. <laughs> so the, the, the Cathars were like a dualistic sect who believed that like all material stuff was created by the devil and that all uh, ethereal mental stuff is is the work of god and therefore you know the anything to do with the physical form is inherently bad and i'm interested to know how this idea of of sort of um catharism will affect the story of kaspar hauser and his dealings with the thousand sons and with the space wolves yeah super looking forward to that because it, you say it's a it's a myth that's grown in the telling, but they're back. <laughs> like they won't they won't fucking leave us alone. We're still relying on the Cathars. Um. <laughs> exactly, we got about three minutes out of them there. That was, good. <laughs> um, that was good stuff. But that's that's basically the end of the first part yeah. of the book. And I think like I'm kind of caught between two main thoughts about this, and one that I think got a little bit fuzzy and not great towards maybe the the second half of what we've read so far but i thought like the first that whole stuff on fenris was just really really vivid really um exciting you know good story and like um uh so that's like so in one sense i think most of this was pretty well written on the other hand like i'll wait to see where the story goes but like it seems like as you pointed out you know, before we we started this episode, that it's like it's all completely out of the the main. I mean, even even the story of like space wolves and the thousand suns is a little bit away from the main narrative. Essentially, mm. like um, many people, I'm sure, will angrily disagree with that point. But this is sort of a massive backstory to before. It doesn't even involve any of that for the first third of the book, really. You know, it's yeah. just kind of, it's just sort of world building and character building. And so I, I'm reluctant to say that's bad because some some of it's really well done and it might pay off really well in the rest of the book, you know, depending on, on, on what it does. But um, it's hard not to sort of see that as like a little bit, like, I don't know, indulgent, like just sort of self-indulgent. And um, uh, I, I'd say I, I'm totally fine with it, to be honest. And the the only problem I had with it is that I felt after those first two chapters, it kind of stopped. It, there was a bit of a, a hard turn from that, from that you know story that was happening to him going like, "All right, we got to get to some space wolves about now. We got to we got to roll this um, icy planet and its culture into uh, some kind of a Starties Legion or something like that." And it didn't it didn't feel quite natural to me and then as it went on i think the writing was always of a high quality actually like far better than his previous books um but i also was like these are interesting little snippets um on their own um and hopefully they all pay off yeah but uh i and and that's not a real criticism as yet because we've only read half of the thing so, like, if he is able to tie it all together and pay everything off, I think that would be brilliant. And, no. um, yeah, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, no, no, I'm the same. I enjoyed it. Um, but I just mean there's an argument, that, 
like you could say this is one third into the book now and like what is presumably the main story of it hasn't started yet you know like it's sort yeah. of it's all um or you know like you like you said at the start it's called prospero burns and so you kind of assume that's what it's going to be about that's what we understand is going to be the main part of the story and it's not even really begun yet and it's kind of all just like laying the groundwork for who this uh casper hauser is that goes around and he's you know he's and we've always had these types of characters these iterators and remembrancers and, and so on and and he sort of falls into that category but he's far more drawn out it's, than i think any of them have ever been you know he's really totally, placed at the 100%. center of this and um and, and and that's kind of that was good i just mean like depending on what happens in the rest of it that i could look back on that and say what was the point of all that or i could look yeah, back I, and I, say like that totally worked you know what i mean I'm, I'm, it remains to be seen and and that will just be just such a a bigger disappointment won't it if if we had this really good start and at the end of it we're just like what what, what the fuck was that doing there for <laughs> maybe it'll be yeah. like it'll be like the the detective guy that we like to <laughs> turn out to be <laughs> just a skin for a demon yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right done so we'll be back in two weeks time to finish this book off so um as always uh thanks everyone for listening if you want to get in contact with us we can be find at horseheretics at gmail.com please uh tell friends uh tell family that's the best way to get new listeners thank you all very much um so until then thank you cheers